It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Welcome to Quantum number 173. Quantum, if you're listening for the first time, is a podcast that looks at world news and views largely from a Christian perspective, but we are open to all. And we're going to begin with what some people have suggested might be Christian terrorism. I want to unpack the story behind this. Listen to this though first. We are keeping an open mind as to what caused the explosion but given how it has happened and out of caution, counter-terrorism police are leading the investigation, supported by Merseyside Police. This is what happened in Liverpool. A bomber named Imad al Swailmin, who arrived in the UK, and uh, he, I think he arrived in 2014, he applied for asylum, which was rejected because the officials believed he was Jordanian and not Syrian, He was mentally ill. He was sectioned seven years ago after trying to kill himself by jumping off an overpass while wearing a knife. His asylum claim was rejected, and so he returned up at the cathedral in Liverpool and said he wanted to convert to Christianity, attended an Alpha course, and was confirmed as a Christian in the cathedral in March 2017. The couple who took him into their home were persuaded of the genuineness of his faith. And it is this man who blew himself up, killed himself, possibly on his way to the Liverpool Maternity Hospital, but more likely on his way to the Remembrance Day service at the cathedral. Now, it is interesting how it has been reported that he converted to Christianity, with the implication being that, well, maybe it was his Christianity that drove him to terrorism. Now, I have never come across a Christian terrorist group ever. Um, as to making bombs and so on, I would have no clue and have no idea who it would be. The, some people said the IRA were a Christian terrorist group. They were Catholic. Well, no, the IRA were a Marxist group. Uh, I think it's somewhat unfair to to blame the, uh, the Catholic Church for them. So wh- where does this idea come from? Now, I think we still have to be extremely careful. Overall, it does appear as though he was on his own, and there certainly appears to be an issue of mental ill health. I think what I would discount immediately is the fact that he was some kind of Christian terror group. That would be ridiculous. He may have been someone who professed Christianity and was mentally ill. That's not impossible. It's also possible, of course, false conversion. So let me just say something about that. The Church of England is being accused of helping asylum seekers game the system by converting to Christianity. Um, Swellen, by the way, was uh, uh, an Iraqi. Now, it's been reported that there are thousands of asylum seekers who have been welcomed into the Anglican faith in recent years, with clergy even given written advice on how to navigate the Home Office system. 
Tom Harris, the former Scottish Labour MP, wrote in The Telegraph that a crucial piece of advice offered by people traffickers to many asylum seekers was to get involved in a local church and basically to pretend to be Christians. Does this happen in this case? I don't know. How do we deal with this? I don't know. I read an article in the week which basically said we can't see into people's hearts. And let me tell you this, there are a lot of people in churches who are fake Christians. And especially in cultures where Christianity is the predominant religion and it's seen as a way to get on or to get business. So the church has always been plagued with this and I I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was the case. But I also have to say this, I have met Iranian in particular uh, people who have become Christians and I have no doubt of the genuineness of their faith. And I also know that for many of these people to be baptized and then to be returned to Iran or to Syria or wherever is equivalent to a death sentence. So it's a complex and difficult issue. And it's just, again, it depresses me how it's reported. All right, here is another national anthem for you. That is the Ukrainian national anthem. And I don't know if this, uh, if you picked up on this, but, well, let me tell you what the anthem says, first of all. Ukrainian's freedom has not yet perished, nor has her glory. And we too shall rule brothers in a free land of our own. We will lay down our souls and bodies to attain our freedom. Cossack blood will raise the nation of the joyous people. Um, very stirring. However... Moscow has just massed more than 100,000 troops on Ukraine's eastern border. The Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, the former TV comedian, whose show I actually used to watch, um, thought he could deal with this. But Putin, it seems, wants to continue the conflict. And when Zelensky began to speak out about the Crimean invasion of 2014 and the build-up of Russian armed forces... Things got worse, and now he's telling Russian speakers in the east of the country to return to the motherland if that's what they see as their future. Um, There have been reports of more elite mechanised battalions than before in the build-up, that fighting has escalated recently in eastern Ukraine. Um, This, I don't know where this is going to go, but it's something to pray about and something to be deeply concerned about. One thing I'm, I'm thinking is pretty sure, if the Russian tanks, tanks go into Ukraine, the Ukrainians are on their own. The Europeans certainly won't come to help. They get their gas cut off. The, uh, I don't think the Americans will, will, will come to help either. And then, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but Iran, and you may have missed this, Iran has resumed production of equipment for advanced centrifuges at a site that the United Nations Atomic Energy Agency is not able to monitor. So it really does look as they are moving towards building an atomic bomb. And it is, of course, the people in Israel who have to be most worried about that. <laughs> 
the ICUs are starting to fill up. It's already projected that within two weeks we will have reached the limit and we know that the cases we see now will be those that fill up the ICUs in two weeks. So there's need for some measure right now. But not everyone agrees. Crowds gathered over the weekend in Salzburg and Vienna to make their opposition clear. I'm here today because I want to fight for my rights. These measures are absolutely discriminatory. My body, our bodies, we have the right to decide about them. A fourth wave of infections is gripping much... We can't get away from COVID, can we? Can't get away from COVID, can't get away from climate change. I think the three C's, I read an article in, I believe it was Unheard, on the three C's, C's of the new authoritarianism. COVID, climate change and critical race theory, all being used by governments for more authoritarian measures. Well, that's certainly true in Austria, where the unvaccinated are being locked in. It is also true in Latvia, where from November the 15th, no MP who's, been who's not been vaccinated will be allowed to be present or to vote, and they will not get their salary. Um, that is that is really quite breathtaking. Only 54% of Latvia's population is fully vaccinated. And then in the UK, here's an, another interesting thing about COVID. Since the summer, almost 10,000 extra people have died from non-COVID illnesses. Now, why is this? Almost certainly because of closures and lockdowns and the ongoing effects of that. Um... This could be the fallout, says Carl Hennigan, professor um, from Oxford University. This could be the fallout from the lack of preventable care during the pandemic. And in Germany, the cases are increasing enormously as well. So it, it does look as though COVID's not going to go away. It does look as though the implications of dealing with it and the vaccines and their effectiveness or ineffectiveness are going to be major issues for us in the years to come, I suspect. But another major issue. Let's go to the United States. Um, let me play you this song and you'll, I think, work out what this is going to be about. All this talk of getting old It's getting me down, my love like a cat in a bag Waiting to drown This time I'm coming down And I hope you're thinking of me As you lay down on your side Now the trucks don't work They just make you but I know I'll see your face again Now the trucks don't work That is The Verve's number one song, I think, from the 1997 or maybe earlier than that, but it was certainly a number one song. The Drugs Don't Work. It, it, it Profoundly moving song. No, it must have been 1987. A profoundly moving song, a profoundly... Um, sad song, an evocative song. So what is it about drugs? Well, here we're not talking about 
illegal drugs in the United States. A hundred thousand, over a hundred thousand Americans died of drug overdoses in the past year as the pandemic spread nationwide. That's more than were killed in car accidents and gun violence combined. This is fueled by widespread use of fentanyl, a fast-acting drug that is a hundred times more powerful than morphine. Over a hundred thousand Americans died of drug overdoses. People take drugs for many reasons, you know, the pleasure side, etc., etc., etc. We know all of that, or at least I think we should know that. We take drugs to get rid of pain. We take dr drugs, we medicalize sometimes everything. And I'm thankful for drugs, believe you me. I am so thankful for drugs that have relieved my pain at various times. But it's very easy to become dependent on them and hooked on them. And they can cause so much harm in that way. All right. Uh, here's Andrew Neal from five years ago. Don't generalize. Let's no, no, stick to your I'm, claims. You've also, claimed, want to you've also claimed that living in London your, all your life is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's not true either. Uh, well, what I would say is that if you look at passive smoking, it is the equivalent of, of say, I don't know what the actual figure is, I can't remember offhand, but it's the equivalent of about, uh, the equivalent effect of about 10 cigarettes being smoked passively. And I think that the, the, the question is in terms of like, you know, you're just throwing me out all of these things. No, in terms I'm, of, I'm throwing things uh, at Greenpeace of complaint. Let but, me just be clear here. Mm -hmm. Greenpeace has claimed that living in London is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day and that that takes 10 years mm -hmm. off your life. Mm -hmm. Professor Frew made it clear to us that living in London your whole life with levels of pollution mm -hmm. does take time off your life, mm -hmm. but it takes nine months off your life. Yeah, 13 would, times less. Nine months is still too much. I, yes. I understand that. But it's not 10 years, okay. and that's what you claim. And I would suggest you realize that that was a piece of propaganda because you. That was when he was with the BBC. Those were in the days that the BBC okay. actually did uh, question and quiz people. But now I, I'm, I'm amazed in, in listening to BBC Radio Scotland to BBC Radio 4, just how much the BBC have become, as Andrew Neil said this week, they have become the PR department of Greenpeace. He's talking about the BBC, Sky and elsewhere. He said that the British broadcasters had colluded in the conspiracy theory that the Kremlin helped Donald Trump win the presidency of the United States and that they refused to tell the truth about the origins of COVID-19. Now, these are serious charges, and I think they are true. This is what he says about climate change. In covering climate change, we are no longer journalists. We are basically the PR department of Greenpeace. You don't need to be a global warming skeptic to challenge what's coming out. And he gave an example. I thought it was a fascinating example. So he said the BBC and Sky's coverage of the foreign minister of Tuvalu, who did a press conference at COP26 standing in water to make out that his islands are about to go under. No one, said Neil, pointed out that there was a report that came out in 2018 which showed in the last four years that the landmass in his island has increased by 70 hectares. Wasn't that worth looking at? Wasn't it worth checking for the facts? But no, we just did it as a piece of PR. I love what he says at the end. If we want to be referees, if we want to be gatekeepers, to call the nutters to account 
and there are plenty on the right and the left, the anti-vaxxers and all the rest, we need to get our own house in order. Now then, we, we do have to come on and just a couple of things that I would say from the, the woke world. In Scotland, what, what has happened to my beloved country? It's, I don't know, it's joining Canada uh, and New Zealand up there with the, the wokest of the woke. We know this. Um, in Scotland, period products are now being supplied to men's restrooms visited by Scotland's transgender civil servants. The move was introduced by the Scottish Government Cabinet to top up its equality index. You know, the good old Stonewall one we mentioned many times. We're providing them in male lavatories of governmental buildings. A varied selection of traditionally female hygiene products are put in restrooms for men in those premises where gender-neutral facilities do not exist. Yeah, because we've got so much money to burn. Because the Scottish Health Service and everything else is just doing just fine. And then, this is very, very important, what you're going to hear just now. Now, a number of years ago, I suggested that this would come next. And I was threatened, lambasted, mocked, and everything. But please listen to this gentleman who is uh, an assistant professor, I believe, a non-binary assistant professor at Old Dominion University in Virginia. Uh, a lot of people, when they hear the term pedophile, they automatically assume that it means a sex offender. Uh, and that isn't true. And it leads to a lot of misconceptions about attractions toward minors. Um, I've definitely heard the idea that you brought up, though, that the use of the term minor attracted person suggests that it's okay to be attracted to children. Uh, but using a term that communicates who someone is attracted to uh, doesn't indicate anything about the morality of that attraction. Thanks so much for that question. Now, did you get that? A minor attracted person. That's what we know as a pedophile. Pedophile is someone who is sexually attracted to children. And I had suggested, and others have suggested as well, that what will happen is that pedophilia will be classed as a sexuality, that it will be portrayed with some degree of sympathy in soap operas and films, and that people like this man would come out and say what he has said. Minor attracted person. And he talks about groups that advocate for them. Groups that advocate for pedophilia. And he's doing research on it. Just wow. Now, I'm thankful that Old Dominion University in Virginia have suspended him just now. But it's a straw, not a straw, it's, it's a, a kind of feather in the wind telling us, telling us which way this is, is going to go, I think. Um, here's a gentleman. Well, well, listen to him first. It is true that in my younger years, I defended separate development as I never liked the word apartheid. I did so when I was a member of parliament and I did so as I became a member of cabinet. Afterwards, on many occasions, I apologized for the pain and the indignity that apartheid has brought to persons to persons of color in South Africa. Many believe me, 
but others didn't. Therefore, let me today, in this last message, repeat. I, without qualification, apologize for the pain and the hurt and the indignity and the damage that apartheid has done to black, brown and Indians in South Africa. I do so not only This was the last recorded message of F.W. de Klerk, in which he apologized for the pain and indignity of apartheid. Now, this may not be popular with a lot of people, but de Klerk, along with Mandela, both of them have been heroes of mine for a long time because what they did was quite extraordinary. I read Mandela's autobiography, and I've read a great deal about de Klerk as well. And it was because of de Klerk and Mandela, of course, that the, dis the apartheid system was dismantled with a minimum uh, of bloodshed. Well, he died this week at his home near Cape Town on Thursday, aged 85. Um, it was, I think it was 1989 or 1990, where he, he made a stunning statement by uh, reconsidering South Africa's racist ways, freeing Mandela and so on, and ended up sharing the Nobel Peace Prize with, with Mandela. Sometimes people can repent, and sometimes people's Christianity can drive them to do a great deal of good. Speaking of Christianity, um, do you recognize this psalm? That is West Bromwich Albion fans singing Psalm 23 to Crimmond. It's quite remarkable. Um, and then what about this? Welsh. I don't think anyone can sing like the Welsh. Now, here we have a culture where hymns, and this is now, are still able to be sung by the general populace. And, you know, I, I wonder what that has to say about our culture. And I also wonder what it has to say about the church. Because there's a report come out this week from the Lausanne movement, uh, Christianity in the UK. Now, I don't want to read you the whole thing, but I've been saying this for some time. The Anglicans have seen all their basic measures drop um, considerably. 
the Roman Catholic Church has seen its mass attendance numbers drop, uh, including the abuse scandals, the reasons they reckon, and also because of a shortage of priests. But get this, the Presbyterian Church, mainly the Church of Scotland, has seen the greatest rate of decline. So in 2000, the three big institutional churches formed three quarters, 74% of the total of six million church members in 2000, almost exactly 10% of the then UK population. No more. 20 years later, incredibly declined. Baptists have declined a quarter in those 20 years. Methodists have gone down 50% in those 20 years. That doesn't stop the Methodists becoming even more woke. Go woke, go broke applies to churches as well. Independents have grown from 355,000 to 395,000, but then declined again to 358,000. Christian brethren have declined. The new churches like Vineyard New Frontiers grew to about 69,000, but then have also now been declining and are down to 61,000. The only ones that are really growing are the Orthodox, and that's because of immigration, the Romanians, and the Redeemed Church of God, um, a major Nigerian church, which now has 850 churches, 865 churches actually, in the UK. Some 880 churches were started in the UK, but there were 1,900 church closures, of which 540 were Methodist. You know, I'm, I'm going to leave you with that. Um, I think the culture is in deep trouble. And I think the culture is in deep trouble because the church is in deep trouble. And I think the church is in deep trouble because it keeps mimicking the culture. And I think we need to hear this song. We need to hear the message of, O oh, church, arise and put your armour on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. Oh, church, arise and put your armour on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has With shield of faith and belt of truth will stand against the devil's lies, an army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. That's what Quantum's trying to do. Please feel free to support us at uh, the Podbean fundraiser. Feel free to keep dropping me ideas and information and news. It's great to get it from you. Please do pray for us. Uh, if you've got questions and comments, send them in to me. If you're not a Christian, you want to find out more, do exactly the same. And I leave you with this, our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valour. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure, and Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of of nations. The future is Christ's. We are part of that future. We are part of that victory. In the midst of all this news that we pray for and we weep for, We also rejoice that Christ will have the prize for which he dies. God bless you and see you next week. Come see the cross where love and mercy meet As the Son of God is stricken And see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet For the conqueror has risen And as the stone is rolled away Christ emerges